The new 1420 WBSM presents Ray Lance and the USA Wealth Group. Get your finances in order. Money Wise starts now. Good Sunday morning, ladies and gentlemen. I like to say that if it's Sunday morning in America, then it's certainly time for Money Wise. Our goal is to help you learn some new things, perhaps, about how to protect your family and how to protect your money. And Money Wise is brought to you every Sunday morning by USA Wealth Group. What you may not remember is that our particular show is the number one most listened to show on the weekend on WBSM 1420 AM. We're very proud of that, and it's all because of you. I have so many people that I see every week that say, oh, yeah, I listen to your show every single week. Well, first of all, a great big thank you for listening. And a good morning to attorney Michael Coleman. Good morning. How are you? Good. Michael is uh, joining us. He's a member of Lance Law, Inc. They're located at 352 Fonts Corner Road in Dartmouth, right across the street practically from the Vanity Fair factory outlet. Mm -hmm. So if you haven't visited, it's easy to see. You'll see the American flag flying out front, and right below that you'll see the Marine Corps flag. And we've been doing that for years, long before we were on the radio. So thank you so much for listening. This morning we're going to talk about... What questions would you like to ask your estate planning attorney? And, Mike, I think what we're going to do is we're going to do this by asking you a lot of questions today. Oh, good. So how old are you? No, no, you don't have to answer that one. (laughs) Mike is um, mature and young at the same time. And uh, but we're, Not we're, as young as I used to be. Well, none of us is. <laughs> no. But you know what? As we get older and people say, oh, it's just hard to get old, I always say it's better than the alternative. That's true. Better than Very not getting true. old. So thank you for being with us uh, Sunday morning, and thank you for being faithful listeners. We're hoping to teach you some things today that will be useful in your life. At the end of the show, I want to give you a few uh, tax tips as well. You know, Mike, I think that when it comes to estate planning, I think that experience really counts. Now, I know that you, for example, have been a practicing attorney for, what, about 14 years, I think, something like that? A little less than that. A little um, less than that. Yeah, I graduated from law school down in New York. I mm-hmm. practiced there for a number of years. I'm originally from this area, so I came back up here and have been practicing now for a number of years in this area, and I really enjoy it. Well, most people who are from New England and move away and do something in a different part of the country, come back. Yeah. We have the highest rate of return in the country because it's a nice place to live. It's beautiful. And certainly Westport, Dartmouth, New Bedford, Marion, Mattapoisett, Fairhaven, Cushman, all these are lovely towns to live in. Right. I lived in uh, Queens for a number of years and then on Long Island, and it's a different world down there, I'll tell you. Yes, it is. So I'm glad to be back. You know, it's really funny as you travel around the country, it's almost like we're a whole series of separate subcultures and almost almost like separate countries in many ways. Right. I think that's why California wants to be a state all by itself. Yeah, they're going to break off the territory. <laughs> yeah, maybe they'll break it off at, uh, what's the name of the... The, the fault. The, the big crack in the ground. San Andreas San Fault. San Andreas Fault. Maybe that will crack and that will be a good time to separate California. Yeah. <laughs> so Come its own island. Yes, Well, thank you again for being with us. Um, Mike, what is 
estate planning, first of all? I guess I need to ask you that question, don't I? That's a very general question. Estate planning can take so many different kinds of forms, uh, depending on the person's assets, uh, family concerns, children, no children, you know, philanthropic desires. Uh, so it can involve wills, it can involve trusts, um, powers of attorney, and again, any sorts of distribution patterns that you want within those documents. So it's really, it can be very, very, very varied, very varied. But there's uh, really two kinds of questions I'm thinking uh, first is the questions that people might want to ask you, and then certainly there's going to be a lot of questions that you're going to want to ask the individual or the couple that's in front of you. Exactly, yeah. We we need to know a lot about assets. We need to know about family. If there are concerns about children you know, spending or if there are special needs situations, possibly. So we ask a lot of questions. We have forms that we ask people to fill out before they come into the office. So we really get an idea of the size of their estate for um, tax purposes and for so many different purposes. Mm-hmm. So I'm thinking about what questions might I want to ask before I decided who to go to to see an attorney, to see an estate planning attorney. I might want to ask, for example, how long have you been doing the business that you do? How much experience do you have? And you also work with attorney Tenny Lance, who happens to be my spouse. Mm -hmm. That's an interesting word. <laughs> I wonder what the derivation of that word is. I don't know. We're going to get into that. <laughs> no, we won't go into that today. Okay. Probably, probably wouldn't want to know the definition. <laughs> Somebody that you have to obey. Yeah, I guess. Or something. <laughs> well, in any event, uh, Tenny obviously has been in the estate planning field for many, many years. And um, before that, I did a lot of work myself. I did estate planning work for about 25 years. Mm -hmm. And although I'm not in the law firm, I'm doing retirement planning and financial services. It's also something that... Having that kind of experience in and around the office is really helpful. Absolutely. From a tax perspective and from so many other perspectives as well. Yep. For the example, other... I enjoy taxes. I like yep. giving tax advice and tax recommendations. Right. The other thing I'd point out is that the law firm is a member of um, the National Academy of Elder Law Attorneys and the American Academy of Estate Planning Attorneys. So we have you know, access to attorneys all over the country. Um, if we come up with an issue that we're not familiar with or if we need um, help from someone down in Florida, a lot of times we have clients who are up here but also own property in Florida. So we have attorneys that we can work with down there to transfer property into a trust. So we have a lot of resources at the law firm. Yep, and virtually any other part of the country. And by the way, tell us a little bit about the American Academy of Estate Planning Attorneys. Well, this is a national organization. We've been members for uh, about 25 years now, and this is an organization comprised of attorneys all throughout the country who practice estate planning, obviously. So um, if we have questions or we can look at the listserv that we're members of and see what other attorneys are speaking about, if there have been changes in the law, they'll always, you know, talk about that and let us know. So it's a great organization to be a part of. Can you explain what a listserv means? A listserv um on email, we have all the different attorneys at MassNela and the American Academy are members of this listserv. So every day we have you know, 30, 40, 50 different emails talking about what people are doing in estate planning, asking questions about how to handle certain situations. So basically it's just an email um, service where we get to see what other attorneys are talking about. 
So basically, the American Academy of Estate Planning Attorneys, and I know that's been around for 25 or 26 years, mm -hmm. has a great deal of experience. Um, I was involved in that right from the very beginning when it was first established, and I went to a conference to learn a lot more about it, and the law firm has been a member ever since for a good 25, 26 years. Mm -hmm. I was actually a charter member of that organization. What's valuable about it is the fact that if you've got questions, you can put a question up on the listserv, for example. Right. And you might have people from 10 different lawyers from different parts of the country who will give their response. Exactly. So it's almost like being part of a very large network of lawyers or a very large law firm, isn't exactly. it? Exactly. And, you know, no matter how long someone has practiced, I see questions from attorneys daily who have practiced for 20, 30, 40 years who have just come up with a situation that maybe they hadn't experienced before so they can get to talk to other attorneys all throughout the country and get their advice or opinions on how to handle that certain situation. And so that's on general estate planning matters, AAEPA, American yep. Academy of Estate Planning Attorneys. But uh, tell us a little bit about NALA. What does NALA stand for? Uh, that's the National Academy of Elder Law Attorneys and that um, focuses more sort of on the elder law, obviously. Um, that's more tailored to nursing home protection, asset protection, dealing with you know, people that are in nursing homes and how to handle uh, possibly getting them on Medicaid. So that's uh, not so much estate planning as, as it is elder law. So I'm going to mention, Mike, um, one of the questions I would ask if I were hiring an attorney is, what experience do you have? And certainly being a member of the American Academy and a member of NALA for nursing home and Medicaid issues, these are important credentials. Mm -hmm. And not only are you a member of these organizations, but you and Tenny have been members for years and years and years. Correct. Yep. So you've got a lot of experience, and that's the word that I want to really focus on. Experience counts. Do you want to trust your affairs to somebody who's just beginning in the business or an attorney, perhaps, who's just decided, gee, it's time to make a change in my life. I think I'll become an estate planning attorney. Mm. And we see that once in a while. But experience does matter. How does somebody reach you, Mike, if they want to make an appointment to see you? Well, if you'd want to make an appointment, you can always call us at 508-998-8800. Uh, if you want to learn a little bit more about who we are and what we do, you can visit our website. That's lancelawinc.com. Mm -hmm. yeah. So check out the background of the person that you're working with. Uh, absolutely. Now, these are some simple questions you might want to ask your attorney. And I'm going to throw out a few quotations here and there that aren't necessarily on just estate planning, but okay. one of my favorite characters and personalities of all times is uh, Winston Churchill, oh, okay. or Sir Winston Churchill. And he said, we make a living by what we get, but we make a life by what we give. Very nice. And I think that's a good philosophy. And it's probably appropriate when you think about what you and Tenny do in the law firm, because you really give a lot of value to your clients, your customers, don't we you? We do. We try to. And it's not just about um, having the right documents in place. It's about making sure that we're putting a, a good plan in place for a family, you know, for generations. Mm -hmm. We want to make sure that uh, things are properly taken care of and assets are distributed the right way. Again, if there are any special needs situations or any uh, particular situations with distributions to children that are going to be concerning, we always take all that into into uh, consideration. And do you, do you spend part of your time learning new things? Do you go to conferences oh, and of webinars and things like that? So it's not just a question of 
what you've done in the past. It's what you always continue to learn. Oh yeah, there's always there's always something new to learn. Um, like I said, it doesn't matter how many years these attorneys have been practicing. There's always something new. So one of my other favorite quotations from Winston Churchill was, "I'm always ready to learn, although I do not always like being taught." Hmm. I think it, you sort of have to, you know, appreciate both sides of that, right? I yes, mean, you, you do. Have to be able to be taught. Well, he was kind of a stubborn old guy, anyways. <laughs> But his persistence really made a huge difference in the history of his country and really in the history of the world. Mm. So he's one of my favorite figures. I have lots of quotes from Winston Churchill, but gosh, I could spend the whole rest of the hour just talking about Winston Churchill and his quotes. Yeah, yeah. But then people would say, enough. (laughs) So, Mike, when people come to see you, um, you have to figure out whether or not they need an estate plan and what kind of an estate plan do they need so do you ask questions about their family for example yeah and i don't think it's about figuring out whether they need an estate plan i think everyone should have an estate plan it's really just what kind of plan do you need so what i would want to know is you know do you have children and again what are your concerns with your children some people you know depending on the age of the child or or um, their spending habits or history they're going to be concerned about leaving the child a whole bunch of money all at once so that's or do they even have a relationship with a child exactly i know i see p- people sometimes who haven't spoken to a child for 10 years mm-hmm. and they don't want the child to have any part of their estate so right, exactly that's kind of a sad situation but it happens what about children um what about ages what what do you think is a good age to leave money or assets to to kids yeah generally we have the age of 25 in our documents but again that can change um normally people want to make it older and not younger mm-hmm. so um we can say based on their age, maybe they get a distribution over a 20-year period, 15-year period, 10-year period. I had a client come in recently who unfortunately has a son who had a stroke recently. And so she's... How old is is the son? The son's in his 40s. Okay, um, that's young. 40s, yeah. So, and she's concerned that if she leaves him a bunch of money that, you know, who knows what's going to happen with that money with spouses and, and whatnot. So, we put it in place uh, that he's only going to get distributions over a 15-year period. Mm-hmm. So it's not going to go to him all at once. And so that means somebody's going to manage those assets exactly. and that money for him? It's in trust. There will be a trustee to manage the assets over mm-hmm. time, and it won't go out to him all at once. Okay. Well, that sounds like a good plan. And is somebody like that perhaps on uh, disability, like Social Security disability? I would imagine he is, yep. Okay. And... Let's talk about different stages in people's lives. Um, Do you think people who are just right out of school, right out of college, starting their first job, should they have an estate plan? Um, I think everyone should have an estate plan. Okay. Everyone should have a will. Everyone should have powers of attorney, uh, durable power of attorney, healthcare proxy, um, HIP authorization. If something happens to even a young person and they have some assets, maybe bank account, it can be as simple as a small bank account. Mm-hmm. If you don't have something in place, that could be a probate, there could be you know, time and money spent on just getting that asset distributed. So I think everyone should have a plan. Well, I, I personally agree with you. And frankly, if you start out with somebody who's very young, just starting their first job, for example, even they could become disabled. You mentioned somebody in their 40s who had a stroke, as an example. Um, but it can happen even younger. You could have somebody even younger pass away. 
And what if they had assets that were only in their name and they had nothing at all? Correct. Then that's a problem, isn't it? There's a question of who's going to get the assets, who's going to be in charge of their estate. Um, So I just had a client come in recently who unfortunately had a relative who was 22 years old Mm -hmm. and committed suicide. And so... Uh, it happens, and what's going to happen to his assets, and who's going to be managing his estate? So yes, it does happen. And those assets could end up going to some place that that person didn't want them to go. Correct. So even somebody who's young. Now, what about if you're brand new, newly married? Is that another occasion when you might be looking at it a little bit differently? Yeah, newly married, depending on how you want assets to be held. Um, Certainly, if you have young children, you should definitely have a will uh, naming a guardian and a conservator for the young child. If something were to happen to the parents, who's going to take care of that young child? Who's going to be in charge of raising that child and managing their affairs? You know, I mentioned this once before, but my wife, Tenny, went to see a doctor in Boston and he was asking her what she did for a living, and she said, I'm an estate planning attorney. And then he said, well, I'm embarrassed to tell you that I don't have any kind of estate plan at all. And he had three children. Hmm. He had two teenage kids and one who was a little bit younger. And this is a man who's obviously worth money. He makes a good living as a doctor with nothing, no estate plan. Hmm. So there are a lot of people that just don't get around to it, put it off. Right. We find that people... They tend to procrastinate when it comes to this kind of thing, but then when they actually do it, when they put a plan in place, they're so happy that they've done it, and it's a relief for them. Mm. Mike, do you do you have any animals? I have a dog, yep, Logan. Yeah. What kind of a dog is Logan? It's a Brittany. She's a Brittany. A Brittany. Yeah. I've never heard of a Brittany before. She's Brit- about 30 pounds, mm-hmm. uh, white and brown. I think they were bred as um, bird hunters in okay. France. You know. Does she run loose in the yard? Can you give her commands and she'll return? I won't let her go out by herself Okay. because her nose is – she'll follow a scent. She's one of those dogs that if she picks up a scent, she'll be gone. Oh, interesting. Um, but she does listen to me, so if I'm out with her, she'll come when I call her. And But, yeah. Good. Well, Winston Churchill, since I've been quoting Winston Churchill this morning, said, I am fond of pigs. Dogs look up to us. Cats look down on us. Pigs treat us as equals. Hmm. So I think maybe we ought to have pigs for pets. I don't have a pig. (laughs) (laughs) I know my mother had a goat when she was younger. Oh, really? Tenny has always wanted a goat. Really? I said, well, someday if we live in a place that's suitable, we'll have a goat. Maybe now is the time. Maybe now is the time. (laughs) Thanks, Mike. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so we've said that People at various ages and stages in their lives certainly ought to have estate plans. And certainly if you have children at all and you don't have any kind of an estate plan, that's a real danger, isn't it? It is because, again, who knows what's going to happen if something happens to you. Hopefully the children get along, but we see it all the time where something happens to the parent and suddenly, you know, there's that there was that force that was keeping the kids, you know, together in a way and then when something happens to the the parent the kids sort of fight or um, disagree about who's going to be in charge and how the assets are going to get distributed so if you have a plan in place in writing setting forth who's going to manage things it'll help with the children Mm -hmm. so questions that you might like to ask your attorney would be what happens if my kids don't get along with each other And, well, I guess one of the things you'd probably tell them is don't name them as co-executors of a will or co-trustees of a trust if they don't get along well. Generally, we want to name just one person at a time. 
Um, it's easier just in terms of signing documents or, you know, going into a bank and managing bank accounts or selling real estate. It's easier to just have one person at a time. Mm -hmm. So what we'll do is we'll name one person and then have a successor in case something happens to that first person named. And I guess another time you might want to have an estate plan, and well, you said everybody should have an estate plan, obviously, is what if you're divorced and you have kids living with you? Right. That person needs an estate plan. Absolutely. Uh, if you're divorced, if you have children, maybe you're in a second marriage and you want to make sure that the children from the first marriage are taken care of, assets are left to them, or the children of a second marriage. So yeah, if, if there's a divorce in case, if you're maybe you're worried about your children getting divorced, so we can put uh, language in a trust, you know, holding assets in trust in the event of a divorce or a separation, so that that doesn't become part of a marital estate and get distributed in a mm. divorce. You know, I think something that's fairly common today, too, is what we would call uh, blended families, where maybe both spouses who are currently married were previously married to other spouses, mm -hmm. and they might even have children from a prior marriage, right? Right. Right. So that gets complicated, too. What do you see in that kind of a situation, or do you recommend that the wife, for example, would leave her assets to her children, the husband would leave his assets to his children? It depends. I've seen both. Um, sometimes there can be a second marriage and the children from the first marriage are no longer in the picture for mm -hmm. whatever reason. They haven't seen them for a while. Uh, sometimes, you know, it's the kids from both marriages are involved and they all know each other and get along. And so um, both spouses want to leave things equally. Maybe one spouse has children, the other doesn't. So, it, you know, it varies. So you've probably seen every kind of example of that, where yeah. they just want to treat all the kids as equals and blend all their assets together. Right. And other cases I've seen when I'm doing financial services and retirement planning, where they want to name their own respective set of children. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we can do it both ways. And that might be more common, I suppose, when there's unequal amounts of assets. Yeah, so you're saying if a husband has more assets than a wife or a wife has more than a husband mm -hmm. and they want to keep them, you know, separate, separate right. families? Absolutely. In that case, you may want to do separate documents. We could do, you know, a trust for the husband, a trust for the wife, and, you know, make sure the trusts are funded with the wife's property and the husband's property separately so that they can have provisions in their own documents for who gets what. Okay. Mike, do you, do you tend to see people who are older as opposed to younger? I would think as people get older, there would be more of a tendency to say, gee, i got to do a will or I have to do a trust. Yeah. A lot of times what happens, unfortunately, is that when someone's parents pass away and they have to go through a probate or they have to go through a complicated you know, situation, then they'll come to us and say, well, we don't want our children to have to go through that same kind of thing. So that happens a lot where they get some perspective from having gone through a nasty situation themselves. Mm -hmm. So uh, C.S. Lewis, famous writer, once said, a man of 70 need not always be feeling, much less talking, about his approaching death. But a wise man of 70 should always take it into account. He would be criminally foolish not to make, indeed not to have made, long since, his will. Hmm. But of course... Sometimes if you wait until you're 70, it might be too late. It could be, yeah. You, you might have capacity issues, mental capacity issues, and so forth. These so days, 70s is pretty, fairly young, but, you know. Yeah, I think it's what, pretty young. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Since I've already reached that mark, I think it's very young, as a matter of fact. Yes, it is. So at different stages in different people's lives, doesn't matter what stage you are, what age you are, 
I mean, if you're still in college, but even in college, you probably ought to have a power of attorney, I would think. Mm-hmm. A healthcare proxy, a healthcare, healthcare proxy, yep. power of attorney. If something happens to a college student and there's no document in place, really, reality is that anyone can go and petition a court to be a conservator or a guardian. Mm-hmm. And obviously, the parents would want to be the ones to do that, but anyone can petition the court to do that. But that happens too. We see that in the news all the time when something happens to a kid in college, Mm -hmm. either death or injury or incapacity. And uh, they should also have a power of attorney and a healthcare proxy. That probably ought to be their graduation gift when they go off to college, if they're they're doing that. I'm sure they'd want more than that. Probably. (laughs) Yeah, probably. And not everybody goes to college, obviously, but it doesn't matter when you enter into the world at all. If you don't have certain basic documents, you can be in trouble later. That's true. And your yeah. family can be in trouble later. Well, I like giving quotations, Mike. You know, I can tell, yeah. So one more from Winston Churchill. It is, a, it is a good thing for an uneducated man to read books of quotations. Hmm. I think I'm going to use that as my main quotation yeah. from now on. <laughs> Bartlett's? Yes, Well, we're going to come back in just a couple minutes, and I'm going to ask more questions of attorney Michael Coleman. Uh, Michael can be reached at 508-998-8800. If you'd like to make an appointment to talk about your estate and your family's needs, give him a call. You don't charge for an initial consultation, do you, Mike? Nope. Our consultations are free. Okay. Generally last an hour to two hours. We'll go over all assets and uh, family situations. So, yes, it's a free consultation. So do a checkup. We're going to come right back and continue our conversation with Attorney Michael Coleman. And we're going to talk about some other ideas about special documents, the difference between some of these documents, and a few other good things. So stay tuned. We will be right back. Welcome back to MoneyWise, ladies and gentlemen. It's so good of you to be with us on Sunday morning as MoneyWise is brought to you by USA Wealth Group. If you'd like to reach me, my name is Ray Lance. You can call 508-998-8858. And we are more than happy to meet with you and talk about your retirement plan. Will you have enough income in retirement? Have you started Social Security yet? There are so many things we like to do. We like to start out with a budget, actually, and talk about what your normal expenses are. And we say that even when you retire, you can plan that you're still going to be spending about 80% of what you were before you retired. This morning, we're pleased to have with us Attorney Michael Coleman. Michael, welcome back. Good morning. And Mike is a very experienced estate planning attorney. And that's one of our strong messages for this morning. If you want to work with somebody to plan your estate, number one, don't do it yourself. And number two, work with somebody who knows what they're doing and who has experience. Absolutely. So, Michael, our topic this morning is really simple. Questions. What questions would you like to ask your estate planning attorney? But I also have an interesting article in front of me. It's called 12 Estate Planning Questions That Might Make You Squirm. Uh, So, number one, who will raise your children if both parents die? Yeah, and obviously this is a question for, you know, younger parents or younger children. So if you have minors... And something happens to both of you, who's going to raise them? So again, you can um, set up a will or a trust, Mm -hmm. and you can name guardians. If you have a trust, you can have a successor trustee in there to manage things, and you can make sure that all the assets are used for the children's care over their lifetimes. Well, 
It's uh, real important to name Guardian because if your kids are important to you and you haven't done any kind of estate planning, then you really need to do that because things do happen and you want to make sure that somebody that you want will be uh, named. And um, have you seen anything unusual in, in guardianships? Well, I guess the bottom, bottom line message is that if you haven't named somebody, if you haven't created documents to name somebody, who makes the decision? Well, a judge would make the decision. A court, yeah. Yeah, a court. And I do have a, a recent situation where a um, person passed away and he had two daughters who were both under the age of 18. Mm-hmm. And he hadn't set up a will, didn't have a trust, didn't have any documents in place. So we had to do a probate. But before we could even do a probate, we had to have a conservator um, appointed for the two daughters. Wow. So that they, they were technically the heirs. They were the only ones who could actually petition the court to start the probate. So because they were under the age of 18, they couldn't do that. We had to have someone appointed um, to do that on their behalf. So That's pretty amazing. That's, I mean, that's pretty incredible. So that may even double the cost of going yeah. through probate then. And the only person who was willing to step forward to take care of things was this person's brother. And he had to pay for expenses related to the real estate. He had to pay out of his own pocket expenses because he didn't initially have access to any of this person's hmm. money. So it's been you know, a long process, expensive. If he had had a trust in place or other documents, we could have avoided, avoided most of this. So this is Attorney Michael Coleman, ladies and gentlemen. You can reach him at 508-998-8800. But the message here is that unless you have confidence that some judge that you never knew and who doesn't know your children has better judgment than you do about matters involving your children, you better not stick your head in the sand for 18 years. You better make right. some decisions about who's going to handle your kids if you're not here. Right, and the court will look at to see what's in the best interest of the child. And who knows you know, what the court will decide in that matter. It may not be what you think. Okay, so here's another question to make you squirm. What if you all die in a common accident? So well, if you have children, if you have parents with their children, mm-hmm. and you know you you all have a common accident, yeah. what happens then? Well, if you have if you don't have a document in place again, who knows where the assets are going to go? Who knows who's going to be in charge of things? Um, what we do in our trusts, we always have a section where it states what happens if everyone dies. You know the the God forbid clause, I guess you could call it. Uh, we always want to name someone. Sometimes we just say heirs at law. So whoever is around uh, would get the assets. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes it's a charity. Sometimes people want to name a charity. But I guess the important point is that if you do documents, you can decide who will get your assets. Exactly. Yep. If you have two sisters and one brother, but you haven't spoken to your brother in 10 years, mm-hmm. Maybe you don't want the brother to receive anything. Maybe you want the two sisters to receive everything. Exactly. And you can specify that. And if you don't, and then the brother ends up inheriting part of the assets, you have a special name for that kind of person, don't you? Oh, the laughing heir? The laughing heir. Yeah. They say, oh boy, I hadn't (laughs) talked to my sister for 10 years, and I inherited money. This is wonderful. All of a sudden, they get a windfall out of nowhere. They're happy. So common disasters are not necessarily that common, but they do occur. So make sure you have estate planning documents in place. Now, what about if there are any other descendants that you haven't yet mentioned, uh, people who come out of the woodwork? Right. We can. What we do is we put a no contest clause in all of our documents. So if someone wants to come along and say that they 
um, weren't included uh, as long as the person who is executing the document had capacity and knew what they were doing the no contest clause would prevent someone else from just coming out of the woodwork mm -hmm. the other thing we can do is we can if the client wants to specifically exclude a descendant okay so, so here's a funny story which says a, a woman was at her mother's funeral and she was approached by another woman who was her spitting image and it turns out the other woman was a half-sister hmm. that the mother had kept secret. It was from a prior marriage, and mother never told her about it. I mean, there are family secrets. Yeah. So it's important to know who you want to name and exclude yeah. everybody else, isn't it? Sometimes we have a situation where maybe a child passed away, and the parents don't feel the need to mention that. But if that child had descendants... Maybe those descendants are going to come around at some point and say, well, I was supposed to get something here. And so we do need to know everything. That's one of the reasons we ask so many questions at our consultations. Mm. And when you ask those questions, it's confidential, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. You have an attorney-client confidential relationship. Right. I remember years ago when I was practicing law, I had a husband and wife sit down in front of me. This is a well-known, prominent person in the community, the, mm. the husband was, and they had not left the office more than 20 minutes. They had arrived separately in different cars, and he called me on his cell phone. And he said, by the way, there's a few things that I wanted to talk to you about that I didn't want to talk about in front of my wife, who was my second wife. Mm. And he started to talk about it. And at that point, I said, you know, I've got a problem, because if you're not able to disclose these things in front of your wife, then we can't represent you properly. Yeah. That we can't represent you legally. Anyway. Yeah, it would be a conflict. Okay. Yeah. But there are secrets out there, aren't there? Oh, yeah. So if you're listening today, ladies and gentlemen, are there any secret skeletons in your family? <laughs> any secret relatives you don't want to talk about? You've got to get it out in the open. It could bite you later on. Yes, but the important thing to remember is that it's going to be quiet and confidential and kept exactly. private in your office. Exactly. But it happens. Um, I won't go into my own family. We had a few skeletons. <laughs> really? <laughs> I um, think everyone does. One of whom, uh, if he were alive today, he would be behind bars. Oh, jeez. But fortunately, he died in the older days before um, preying on younger children was oh, not so much of an open issue as it is today. <laughs> so. Wow. Yeah, that's not good. But the whole family is gone, so I can just mention that much a little bit. So here's a question. Have you told me about all the important relationships in your life? Remember yeah, Charles Kuralt? I did not remember that, but I see that right here. Charles Kuralt had an intimate companion for 29 years who remained a secret from his wife and children. <laughs> yeah, on the road again with Charles Kuralt. Well, he was certainly on the road yeah. <laughs> again. But he had a relationship with another woman for 29 years, Jeez. and his wife and his children didn't know about it. And then after he died, there was a six-year public court battle over land in Montana. Hmm. Wow. So I guess you don't have to be so blunt as to say, do you have any uh, secret liaisons that we should know about? Right. I've never asked that question, actually. No, it's probably that would be a tough question to ask, wouldn't yeah. it, Mike? Yeah. I feel like, well, maybe I'm wrong, but I feel like that would hopefully come up if, <laughs> if someone were in my office and trying to tell me about their family. Mm-hmm. Hopefully they would disclose that, but maybe not. Yeah, it could know. be on the male side. It could be on the female side. I mean, yeah. look how many of our past presidents have had relationships. Mm -hmm. Mostly quiet, some not. Well, yeah, it's tough when you're a president. Let's see, there was Dwight Eisenhower, there was John Kennedy, there was Franklin Delano Roosevelt, there was Clinton. 
you, I, I don't want to name any more, but um, and we won't talk about current issues. Okay. All right. So we don't talk about politics on this show. But if there's something else out there that could potentially be a lawsuit, you might want to know about that. Now, here's a good question for you, Mike. Do you have any genetic material on ice? I've never asked that question of anyone. I do not. Um, but I've never asked that question either. You know, there have been some recent uh, stories in the news that some of these clinics that were storing genetic material, eggs and so forth, uh, and sperm, they lost their power and everything was destroyed. Oh, jeez. And... Uh, you think they have a generator? Well, you would think so. I mean, the people put their genetic material on ice as a backup. Mm-hmm. And right. You would think that the place where they had it frozen would also have a backup. Yeah, you would hope so. Yep. Um... Some of these questions you probably would never ask, like, are you a transgender? I've had a client in the past who was a transgender and went through surgery from, uh, he was a male and then became a female. Hmm. And um, I would not ask that. Um, nope. I hope that someone would tell me that, although I'm not sure how relevant it would be. No, but at the same time, I guess it would be important to point out that the same issues that we're talking about today apply to anybody, whether they're um, in a a gay relationship or a lesbian relationship or not, or whether they're married to a same-sex person. Right. Um, the same estate planning issues are vitally important. Oh, yeah. In fact, even more so, because I've, I've had some personal situations in the past where someone became ill and they were not married. They were in a homosexual relationship, and their partner had no legal rights at all. In fact, the family never approved of that relationship, mm-hmm. and so... That person had no access to medical records or making medical decisions or right. anything else. Right. So I know that over the years, um, both you and Tenny have had numerous, dozens if not hundreds of client situations in which you've had same-sex couples. And estate planning is just as critically important for same-sex couples as Absolutely. it is for heterosexual couples. Especially now that obviously they can m- marry. So you can do a joint plan with a mm-hmm. with a same-sex couple that you could do with a heterosexual couple. Right. Another question to ask is, have you ever made large gifts to other people? This is more of a, a tax issue. Actually, this is raises a few different issues, but from a tax perspective, you can give gifts, but there is a, a limit on the amount of gifts you can give. Right now um, it's $15,000 yeah, a year. Right, correct. You can give to one person without having to file any kind of a gift tax return. Right. And there's no there's no tax really until you reach a really really high limit of gifting, so um, there's no tax. The other issue would be um, from a Medicaid perspective and nursing home planning. If gifts were made recently, there's a what's called a five year look back period for mm-hmm. um, qualifying for Mass Health. If gifts were made, those could be disqualifying transfers for. S- asset protection purposes. So giving away assets is something that a lot of people do, but it has a lot of different interesting results. Mm -hmm. If the person who's giving away a house, let's say, to children, and I have that exact situation just very recently, just in the past few days, when somebody approached me and said, I want to sell my house that I've been living in for 28 years, but a number of years ago, I put the title in the name of my children. Mm. Well... If the children sell the house, the children, first of all, have received what's called a carryover basis. So if the mother paid $100,000 for the house and gave it to the children, the children own it for $100,000. If the children now sell it, 
and the house is worth 300000 there's a $200,000 capital gain. Mm. But the mother has lived there all this time. And I said, well, you've really had a life estate, and you've continued to occupy. Let's meet and talk about the possibility that we'll put the house back into your name as your primary residence before you put it on the market for sale. And then perhaps we can take advantage of the capital gain exclusion. Mm-hmm. And the first $250,000 in capital gain is tax-free right. for the person selling their primary residence. You have to have lived in it for two years out of the last five in order mm-hmm. to qualify for that, right, right. that benefit. But what you don't want to do at a minimum is just go ahead and sell it in the name of the kids. That's going to be a, a fairly good-sized tax to pay. Yeah. A lot of times we have clients come in and say, well, we just want to transfer the house to the kids, you know, for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. And again, like you said, there are, there are a lot of reasons not to do that. Many, many issues, and including one of them is, I suppose, that if you're thinking about doing that and the parent is, let's say, the person who's the donor making the gift, they're going to continue to live there. At a minimum, they should have some kind of a life occupancy agreement. Mm-hmm. Correct. And you may or may not want to have it written in the deed, I suppose. You could do that. Um, the other issue might be a homestead protection. Mm-hmm. You can't have a homestead on anything but your principal residence. If you transfer very good thought um, your yep. house to your child and you no longer own it, you may lose your homestead protection. So, ladies and gentlemen, listen carefully to that particular point. If you take the house and put it in your name, the name of your children, then it's not their primary residence. They're not living there. There's no homestead protection which gives you a lot of protection from uh, liability from lawsuits. Exactly, yeah. So there are many considerations before you put the house in the name of the kids. Right. Not to mention, if they get into financial trouble, I had a situation where um, a daughter of a client had some health issues, Mm -hmm. and she just ended up not being able to pay the bills. So think about that. If the house had been in her name, Mm -hmm. what would have happened to that house? Or let's say you have two children, you put the house in the children's names, and they own it. It's an asset for the two kids. Most no longer the parents' assets. And then one of them gets divorced. Right. That might be partly a countable asset on somebody's divorce balance sheet. Correct. It could be. So lots of reasons before you jump and say, I'm just going to put the house in the kids' names and it'll be protected. Generally, it's not a good idea. Yep. So um, gifting... Well, I just want to remind you that we're you're listening to Money Wise, brought to you by USA Wealth Group. You can reach us, by the way, at 508-998-8858, or usawealthgroup.com is our website. And we are located at 352 Fonts Corner Road. Our specialty, by the way, is helping people protect their family and helping people protect their money. It's really all we do, and we do a great deal of work in the area of retirement planning, if somebody has retired and they still have a 401k, there are a lot of good reasons not to keep a 401k. We'd be happy to talk to you about that. You might be much better off to have it in an IRA account instead. Mike, here's some other reasons to do estate planning. Um, what about pets? Yeah, I was just going to mention that. I like that one. Who's going to take care of your pets? Yes. So Who would take that, care of Logan if something happened to you? That's a good question. Um, my parents would certainly be willing to step in at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, if something were to happen to them, though, I'd want to possibly do a pet trust. You can do a, a pet trust in Massachusetts now where you set forth who's going to take care of your pet, how much money is going to be left for the care of that pet. So that's something we do occasionally with the pets. So having a pet trust can be important. If you have any kind of an animal, they become a family member, don't they? Yeah. 
and you want to know that if something happens to you, you've made arrangements to have the animal taken care of. Give attorney Mike Coleman a call, 508-998-8800. He'd be happy to sit down and talk to you about it. It's funny, I see in here, um, it says, if, if you don't have someone you can rely on to take your pets, especially if you have 17 cats. I actually have a client who has 17 cats. Oh my gosh. And we're trying to figure out what to do with these cats. That would be a life sentence, I yeah. think. <laughs> So. I, I have several cats, but I would not want to have that many cats. No, it's too many. Even just a couple of cats, they control your life. They watch everything you do. Yeah. Uh, they sneak up on you. <laughs> um, no, they're, they're good animals. Um, so uh, let's talk a little bit about what do you do when you want the plug pulled. Well, I wonder if people ever consider that. How many people want to be kept alive artificially on a machine if there's no hope of your recovery, I know I would not. Right. We do what's called a living will. And this is a document that just states in general terms what you would want in the situation that there is no reasonable expectation of recovery from an illness. There are more um, in-depth things you can do. There's what's called a MOLST form in Massachusetts, a um, order for life-sustaining treatment, basically getting for getting into, do you want to be intubated? Do you want a breathing tube? This needs to be done with a doctor. So that's not something that we can do. Mm-hmm. But there are healthcare directives that you can do stating exactly what you want to have in certain situations. So what are some of the primary documents that somebody should have to have kind of like an ideal estate plan? We definitely think that a, a living trust is a good document to have. Again, it depends on the asset levels. Uh, we also do a will, what's called a pour-over will, mm-hmm. basically saying that if you have an asset in your name alone or it's a joint asset and something happens to both you and your spouse, if there's a probate, then that asset gets poured right into the trust and it's distributed by the terms of the trust. Uh, we also think everyone should have a durable power of attorney, naming an agent to pay your bills for you or to manage your assets, and then healthcare documents, a healthcare proxy a HIPAA form, and a living will that I just talked about. So so the living will is a document that says, don't keep me alive artificially. Basically. And I've signed such a document, and uh, I think most of the people that come in the office want to sign that kind of a document, don't they? Most do, yeah. Especially if they've gone, like I said before, if they've gone through something with their parents where they had to make a tough decision, um, it's it just helps them to know that their parents have actually thought about that and they've signed something saying that this is what I want in that situation. And if you don't sign some of these kinds of documents, Mike, then I guess the hospital may have an obligation to keep you going as long as possible. It's possible, They yeah. can't make a decision to terminate your life. Right. Um, the agent, ultimately, the agent named in the health care power of attorney would be able to make that decision. The living will doesn't force them to do anything. It just says, you know, if I'm in this situation, then this is what I want. Mm-hmm. Now, here's another squirmy question. Does somebody know your passwords, your usernames, and your security questions on your various accounts? Right. I bet most people have those um, not written down or put anywhere. I know there are programs that you can do online now where you can have all your passwords um, saved in the same place, or you can just write them down somewhere. But it's really important to have that all all in place. Someone so someone can access the bank accounts if they need to, or you know Facebook or whatever else you might have. You want someone to be able to access those. Mm-hmm. Well, there are lots and lots of good reasons to 
have some questions prepared to ask for uh, when you go to see an estate planning attorney. And Attorney Michael Coleman, thank you for answering a lot of these questions for us today and hopefully giving some more insight. I mean, everybody needs to prepare and be prepared. And uh, John Wayne once said, life's tough. It's even tougher if you're stupid. (laughs) Now, that's not a reflection on anybody listening, but it simply means don't be stupid about estate planning. Uh, Get some advice, get some help, and give Mike a call. I want to give you a tax tip today. One of the things that's happened in the new tax bill is that there are changes to the child tax credit. It used to be $1,000, now it's a $2,000 credit. That's a help to taxpayers. And part of that credit is refundable to lower income tax credits. There's also a brand new $500 tax credit for each dependent who's not a qualifying child. So think about college students or a disabled adult, for example, or an elderly parent that you might care for. Uh, There are now credits that you can use for that. So make sure when you get your taxes prepared at any time of the year that you get proper tax advice for doing that. And by the way, we don't do tax returns in our office, but we give a lot of tax advice. So the questions I'd like to leave with you today are, has somebody in your own life passed away recently or somebody that you know, a neighbor? And were they prepared? Did they have proper documents in place? If not, then this is a time for you to think about getting prepared as well. And it's something that too many people put off, don't they, Mike? Mm, yeah, about half of, I think half of all Americans are without an estate plan. So mm-hmm. that's far too many. Well, I guess the same rule goes for preparing for retirement. Most people don't prepare properly for retirement. So I'd like to thank you for listening today, remind you to take some action and do something. If some of the things that you've heard today are important to you, if taking care of your children, your family is important to you, which I assume it is for most people, then you need to do something. You need to take action. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much for listening to MoneyWise, and we will look forward to talking to you again next week. <laughs>